Hi, and welcome to Quest, a vineyard church where we strive to live life as friends with faith through knowing God, loving others, and making a difference. If you're new, there will be information at the end of this podcast to help you plug in at Quest both in person and online. Now, let's dive into this week's teaching. So last week we started the series on, uh, it's a very non-traditional Christmas series. We're not talking about the angels and all that stuff. We're talking about a guy named Hosea, the prophet Hosea. And last year we talked, last week we talked about how God asked Hosea, this prophet in the Old Testament, to marry, as the Bible so bluntly puts it, a whore, a prostitute, a temple prostitute. And that his marriage to, to her is supposed to show how God is faithful and willing to pay such a high price to be in relationship with each and every one of us, to pursue us with love and patience that is beyond anything we can imagine so that we can experience who he really is. There are so many layers to this story. There's the, there's the layers of, of Hosea and his wife, whose name is Gomer. And there's, there's this, the layer of God and, and how he looks at us as a people or Israel as a people. And, that, and there's actually a layer that's your story and my story of how our relationship with God so often develops and goes on throughout life. And in essence, in, an, in its essence, this is in a sense also the Christmas story. It's the Christmas story of, of God coming to us, of God sending Jesus to us as a baby to faithfully love us even when we were unfaithful and we weren't sure we wanted to love Him even, to arrange perfect forgiveness, to save us, to rescue us, and to bring us into the kind of beautiful love and beautiful relationship with Him and with each other that we long for. So last week we focused on uh, the story from the perspective of Hosea and God. What was this like for Hosea and God? This week and next week we're going to spend most of our time looking at this from the perspective of what was this like for Gomer to get married to this man? What did she feel like? Did she feel unworthy? Did she feel driven to measure up? We see in her this struggle through this story to receive the love of her new husband and this temptation to return to her former life as a prostitute. And in her story, we're going to see over these next couple weeks, why do we struggle at times to receive God's love? Why do you and I struggle to remain faithful to God? And specifically today, How can the struggle to receive God's love begin to change in our hearts so it's not as much of a struggle? Last week we made it through the story as far as uh, Hosea marrying Gomer and they went on their honeymoon to the Mediterranean Riviera and they come back pregnant and start taking belly bump pictures and posting them on Facebook every week, right? To have everybody like and celebrate. This week we pick up the story as they approach their, the birth of their first child. And, and so I imagine they had ultrasounds back then and, and they discover that it was going to be a baby boy. And so they, they run home and they get on Amazon and they buy all, they start buying all the baby name books. So, so they buy the, the best, most hip name baby book. And they buy the baby book that says, here's the Jewish names and all the etymology to all these names. And here's the the spiritual significance of the names, because we all want to know the spiritual significance of the names we're going to give our child. And and then they buy even, and and one of my favorite ones, it's the the book of uh, the new baby name survey book. 
And it's kind of this book that basically says, I want you to pick a name that makes a favorable impression on everybody else, that everybody thinks positively about your baby, because that's really what's important in the naming of your baby, right? And this is the 735 B.C. edition, which, of course, they knew it was B.C. back then, right? And you read in private, you read this book in private with people you know really well, right? You don't want to read it with people you don't know well, because inevitably, if you read it with people you don't know well, you're going to stick your foot in your mouth and you're going to shove it forcibly down your throat. Because you're going to say at some point, that name makes me think of a psychopath. And the person next to you is going to go, that's my dad's name. Right? And you're going to feel really embarrassed. I think all of us as parents, when picking a name for our child, we want to be careful to not pick a name that has baggage. So we go through and cross off all the names of our ex-boyfriends or ex-girlfriends, or we cross off the names who are, of people who are consistently mean to us growing up in school, that kind of thing, right? So imagine Hosea and Gomer cuddling on the couch, reading name books, and having a little red marker that they're crossing off every name that neither one of them can, can stomach. So imagine Gomer come, coming from her line of work. That's an awful lot of names she's crossing off. Jose has to go to, go to Staples again to get more, a jumbo pack of red Sharpies to, to bring home. There's just so many red things going on. I mean, it's like every other page has one name that's not struck out with red. This is getting to be slim pickings on the name. Now, that's the modern kind of intro to this text and what's going on in the text. The Bible says it this way. It says, So he went and took Gomer, the daughter of Diblam, and she conceived and bore him a son. And the Lord said to him, Call his name Jezreel, for in just a little while I will punish the house of Jehu for the blood of Jezreel, and I will put an end to the kingdom of the house of Israel. And on that day I will break the bow of Israel in the valley of Jezreel. Child one. She conceived again and bore a daughter. And the Lord said to him, Call her name Lo-Ruhamah, which means no mercy. For I will have no mercy on the house of Israel to forgive them at all. But I will have mercy on the house of Judah, and I will save them, from, from, save them by the Lord their God. I will not save them by the bow or by the sword or by the war or, or by horses or by horsemen. And when she weaned no mercy, she conceived and bore a son. And the Lord said, Call his name Loami, which means not my people, for you are not my people. And I am not your God. Now, I've known some people whose names I wonder at. What were their parents thinking when they named them that, right? Uh, just for fun, I, I looked at the worst baby names of 2016. I looked up several lists online. And the top honors across several lists was this name. It says the, uh, the name Elizabeth. That, that's not a typo. So is that morning breath? Is it garlic breath? Is it beer breath? What does Elizabeth breath smell like, right? The next name that made, that made a lot of the list was Maverick. Now, again, that's not a typo. I mean, Maverick, that's a great game, a name. I think that would be a strong name. I think I'd like that. But, but could you just name me and spell it the normal way so I don't have to spend half of my life telling people how to spell my name and watching them go, what? I mean, come on. Another person named their baby, Baby. Here's one that really rolls off your tongue. Another person named their child, Little Sweetmeat. How do you like that one? 
Here's a good manly man's name, Danger. And then there's somebody else who named their child Colon. Hopefully that little baby becomes a colonoscopy doctor. And they earn lots of money off the advertising saying, have Dr. Colon do your colonoscopy because he was born to do this. Another person named their name, named their baby, and this is legit, A, B, C, D, E. I guess they were the fifth child. I don't know. What's that about? I also heard somewhere else, not on these lists, so I don't know for sure if this one's true, that somebody named their baby J-K-M-N-O. How do you pronounce that? Anybody? Noel, because they took the Noel out. Okay, come on. Sorry, that's probably... Sorry. But God has... God has Hosea take baby naming to an all-whole new level of bad. The first child is named Jezreel. And if you understand Israel's history, what that brings to mind for them is this, in the memory of the people, is a time of sexual decadence, of treachery, resulting in the murderous shedding of innocent blood. It's like, uh, it would be like if somebody in Germany who was a Jew named their kid Dachau and made him walk around Germany with that name, being called that all the time. Everywhere the child went, they would be reminded of how God would not allow unrepented of sin, the gross injustice of murdering innocents, to go unpunished. Talk about setting a child up for a complex. But it gets worse. The second child, lo ruhamah, means no mercy, no pity. Everywhere she went, as teachers would call out her name at school, people would be reminded that God was past the point of mercy, that His mercy has a limit. After more than 200 years of pleading with Israel to change, God is saying to them, the consequences of your sin will now be fully reaped. I will no longer restrain the consequences. I'm going to break the bow. I'm going to break your trust in your military and your strength of yourself. I'm going to break the trust you have in that. And I'm going to show you how feeble you truly, really are when you're trying to be self-sufficient instead of faithful in relationship to me. And it goes on from there. A daughter named No Mercy. Can you imagine that name? I mean, so she goes to the teacher and says, Teacher, can I have some mercy and an extension on my homework? And she goes, Lo Ruhama. Yeah, teacher, I know that's my name, but can you answer the question? There's like a, there's like a, 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 a who's on first comedy sketch in there that's really not very fun for that girl as she goes through life realizing there is no more mercy. And it continues immediately upon weaning no mercy. Gomer gets pregnant again and she gives birth to Loami, not my people, or even more literally, no kin of mine. And the question for us in this text that's really troublesome is what on earth is God doing in this? Well, first through the names that God is giving the kids, He's revealing His pain and hurt of how He's being treated. If you've ever been cheated on, 
in your marriage or betrayed in a friendship or a relationship or taken advantage of or abused, you know a measure of the pain that God is feeling. God felt cheated on. His people, the ones He created, the ones He loves so dearly, are committing spiritual adultery. And God is wearing His feelings on His sleeve. And He has every right to be hurt and angry and sad. It's interesting. In fact, most scholars believe because of the wording in the text, the the first child, it says, she bore to him. And that same phrase is not used for the next two children. And many, many, most scholars believe that the next two children are actually not Hosea's children. They were born not from he and Gomer, but from adultery on her part, or possibly Gomer doing some prostitution on the side while they're married. Gomer commits to marriage with Hosea and then betrays him in unfaithfulness. And Hosea is still committed to loving her and raising her and the children. How do you think that makes Hosea feel? See, this is how our sin makes God feel. When He gives us all we have and He commits Himself to love us in faithfulness, And we say yes to that love and say we want to follow you. And then we choose after a time to take that which He gives us, our time, our money, our effort, our focus, our whatever it is, to look to created things to try to to, to try to be the source of our happiness and our meaning. And it brings great depth of pain and sadness and grief to God. If you are here and you know that there are some things in your life that you're doing that are rejecting God, that are unfaithful to Him, this is how your actions make God feel. Betrayed, grievously sorrowful, and angry. But not the condemning kind of angry. Rather, it's a truly righteous anger and not the kind of righteous anger that we so often talk about when we say we're having it where we're just really trying to prove that we're right and we're better than the person we're talking to. It's the kind of anger that says, I love you and I still love you. And everything inside of me is crying out for you to receive that love. But you continue to betray me. It's that kind of an anger. Hosea 2, God is speaking and He sheds more light on how He feels about this. And He's talking to His people, Israel, and He says, And she did not know that it was I who gave her the grain and the wine and the oil and who lavished on her the silver and the gold which they used for Baal, the god Baal. And therefore I will take back my grain in its time and my wine in its season, and I will take away my wool and my flax, which were to cover her nakedness. And I will stop giving you the abundance and blessing I have been pouring out. What God is saying, I'll stop giving you that blessing, and I'm, I'm going to let you stand on your own. I'm going to let you come face to face with your demand for self-sufficiency and how much poverty of spirit and how much poverty of relationships and how much poverty of your body that's going to bring you when you pursue in other ways what only I am intended to give you in relationship. 
And he says, now I will uncover her lewdness in the sight of her lovers, and no one shall rescue her out of my hand. And I will put an end to all of her mirth and her feasts and her new moons and her Sabbaths and all her appointed feasts. You see, God is saying, I'm, I'm going to allow you to experience the hollowness, the pain, the sadness, the full depression of life without Him in its full effect. He says, I will lay waste her vines and her fig trees, of which she said, These are my wages which my lovers have given me. Even though God is really the one who has given her everything. See, God's pain and righteous, loving, justified anger is on display after so much mercy, so much patience, so much time providing for her, even though she took what he gave and dishonored and betrayed him, he continued to pursue and provide for so long. But God is doing something so much more than just showing his pain in this passage. Second, through the names of the children and through the withdrawal of affection, God is also exposing the full reality of the people's sin. So, when your sin is exposed, how does that make you feel? If you're caught cheating or or, or you drink too much and you do something embarrassing or, or bad, how does that make you feel? When you're caught in a lie, how does that make you feel? When you lose it and you yell and you demean your spouse or your children or your family member, how does that make you feel when you are so exposed in your sin? Pretty bad, right? You feel self-condemnation or you feel the condemnation of others. You fear the losing of others because of destroying trust. You, you become defensive because it's overwhelming for you to, to be so exposed. It shakes your identity to the core. I'm not the good person I thought I was. And you struggle to deal with that feeling and that reality. So you find yourself defending or deflecting or distracting or hardening your heart so that you can deal with feeling so badly about yourself and the situation. I can't think of very many good feelings that come from being exposed. So why does God do this? Why? The names of the children are exposing the sin of the people in a kind of an in-your-face kind of a way. Is He just mean? Is he just trying to break us down so we're completely humiliated and hit bottom and change? Is that what God is doing? Paul gives us the answer later in his writings where Paul teaches us how when we are followers of Jesus, how he wants us to feel when our sin is exposed. And he says it this way in Romans 8. He says, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And remember, he's saying this coming out of Romans 7 where he, where he bemoans the fact that all of us tend to do things we don't want to do. We sin even when we don't want to sin. And yet he says, I want you to face this sin without that feeling of condemnation. And Paul describes what that's like more in his life later on. In 1 Timothy 1, he says it this way. He says, And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. And the saying is trustworthy. 
and full of, and we're deserving of full acceptance, 100% complete acceptance. This is not an overstatement that he's about to say. That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost, he says. Paul. The Apostle Paul, likely the greatest Christian outside of Jesus to live in all of history, that Paul says, I am the foremost of sinners. And you can trust that statement to be true. I am absolutely in need of grace and salvation from Jesus, he says. Now, it's easy for us to be comfortable with confessions in our own life and other people's lives when we say, I once was blank, but now I'm blank, right? Whether that's as I once was sinfully abusive and using women for my own pleasure and now God saved me and taught me to love one woman and my wife faithfully or whether it was I once used to be controlled by anger and now I am at peace and I can deal with those situations differently. That's, that's easy, but Paul isn't saying that. What he's saying is in the present tense. He's saying, I am the foremost of sinners right now, in this very moment. Paul is illustrating for us the gospel, the good news portrayed in Jesus and in the story of Hosea, that we are idolaters, we are sinners, and we are people who are all too easily and all too often and continue to be unfaithful to God. And I am in need of forgiveness and a Savior, and that Savior is Jesus. And Paul goes on and says, But I received mercy for this reason, that in me as the foremost of sinners that Jesus Christ might display His perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in Him for eternal life. See, the only difference right now between Paul and where Gomer stands in our story is that she has not been able to receive this mercy and hold on to this mercy that God is offering her through the love of Gomer, of, of Hosea. You see, the greatest danger in your life, the greatest danger in my life, is not external things. It's not someone hurting you or financial setback, or it's not other people's sin hurting you. It's not even your own sin. The greatest danger is you, is you being unable to be at peace with the experience that true love and freedom in Christ can only be found when we fully see the depths of how sinful and how unfaithful I am, you are, how sinful we are, and still, still in that moment know that we are absolutely loved. See, the greatest danger in your life is not being able to fully face your sin and receive His love and forgiveness at the same time. Because here's kind of the bottom line of the message for us today. Only when nothing is still hidden can we be free, completely free to be fully loved. 
See, sin is not a popular point to emphasize in our culture. It's not even a popular point a lot of times to emphasize in many Christian churches in America today. We want to talk about freedom, the freedom we have in Christ, and we want to, but we don't want to talk about sin and sinfulness. We want to, we want to, that's too negative. We want to talk about, you know, weaknesses or mistakes, but when we talk like that, we minimize the understanding of sin and how we view sin. Seeing sin for what it is in our lives in a very personal way is not oppression, but is the key to living in the freedom of Christ. And we see this struggle of facing sin and receiving love in Gomer. And I, and I know I see it in myself and I see it in, in, in you too when we talk. Paul describes that tension within us again in Romans 7 when he says, we all do things that we don't want to do. We want to choose God, but instead we, we choose other things. We want to choose to be caring, but instead we choose cruelty or anger. We, we want to be honest, and yet we still lie. We all have this innate sinful tendency to go our own way rather than God's way, and that's sin. And the issue for Gomer and for us is when we mess up and when we sin, what's our response? in our heart. What's going on? Think about Gomer some more. What she's going through in this. She's going through this major life change. I mean, one minute she's selling herself to anyone who could pay for her body, and the next minute she's the wife of the prophet and then, and then the mother of his children. And her life is lived out in public for all to see, for an example for all to see. It's, it'd be kind of like if, if a Kardashian married a Billy Graham-type figure today, right? And it'd be all over the tabloids and the news. Everybody would be talking about it. What's Gomer's response in that moment? You can see in her this, this covering and this hiding of sin. You can see probably this, imagine this minimizing of sin. And the question for each one of us is, what is your response? What is my response when we sin? Is it just to try to act good and just say, well, that was a mistake and it's, it's not a big deal. It's, it's no big deal. See, if Gomer or, or if you and I say, I follow God, I'm a Christian, but I never really changed. My life isn't all that much different now than it was before I received Christ. Then the Apostle Paul is going to probably say to you, I doubt you have ever experienced the grace of God. Because when we truly experience the love and the grace and the forgiveness of God, it brings a power and it brings a freedom to our life to begin to change. Grace is a lot like a hot shower. If you jump in it when you're filthy from sin, you can't come out the other side not being cleaner and a little bit better smelling, right? God's grace changes us. Some say sin doesn't matter. But Paul says it does matter. And God says it does matter. Because when you sin, it's not just an activity. It's not just a behavior. When you sin, you bring yourself back under the power of sin and evil. And it results in several things. It results in slavery. It grabs you and you find yourself, right? You find yourself doing this thing you don't want to do over and over again, right? 
And when we're, we're Christians and we, and when we're Christians and we sin, it, it doesn't remove, we don't lose our legal standing of being justified with God, but it absolutely does cause us to miss out on experience of fellowship with God because when we sin, isn't it true, our response feeling the condemnation so often is to distance ourselves from God? And even if we don't do that, sin itself dulls our ability to know God and see Him for who He is. See, what was Gomer feeling? What was Gomer thinking? Was she feeling dead inside, hopeless, guilty, not able to measure up? Do you feel dead inside, hopeless, guilty, not able to measure up, unhappy, joyless in life? See, no Christian can continue to live under the power of sin and live a joyful life. It is impossible. Something in our heart needs to change about how we react to God exposing sin in our lives. Again, it's not even so much about behavior change because we often try to change our sin primarily by doing it through behavior change. We put on a nice face. We put on nice talk. We do nice things to serve other people so we feel good about ourselves. And yet our hearts still struggle. And we continue in sin because we don't deal with it at the heart level. See, unless our heart changes, we will be like Gomer, trying to put on a good public face, but struggling. So Gomer has affairs. And we'll eventually see in the story that she actually goes back and re-enters the life of prostitution because she doesn't really get the experience of the grace and the love that God is bringing to her through her husband deep down in here in such a way that it flips something in her heart that allows her to face her sin and feel His love at the same time. She can't say with a settled peace, God's grace is abundant. He loves me tremendously. He has good and great things for me to enjoy doing with Him through this life. And I am the foremost of sinners, like Paul says, at the same time. How do we get to the place that we can face our sin without being morbid, without going around buried in condemnation, feeling worthless? How can we overcome the sadness and the disappointment in ourselves? Because, see, we, we know this to be true. Isn't it, isn't it true that when we think of the freedom to be fully loved, we think of being able to be fully who we are in all of our imperfections and still be loved? I mean, come on. We hear newlyweds fawning over this all the time. They go, oh, I can sleep with my head on his chest and drool all over him, and he still loves me, and I can, I can be my, in my funky moods, and, and he still loves me even when I'm mean and hard to be around, and, and she sees me at my best, and even when I'm angry and not being so best, and she still loves me and without fail but but the reality in us our relationships over time too often that patient love gives away even in the best of relationships to fighting and to rejection that occurs and most of us in life work it out well enough that our relationships whether it's a marriage or a friendship kind of stay intact but all too many times relationships end up parting ways in devastating pain whether it's divorce or just a friend walking away from you but what hosea teaches us is that god's love and patience doesn't change he knows your sin 
And He still loves you and pursues you with welcome arms. And the great Apostle Paul's admission of being the foremost of sinners shows us that even when you have been following God for a long time, even if you are in leadership nonetheless, and you or others think you should be so mature, that you should be so far beyond where you are right now, that you can't believe you still struggle with blank, whatever that is that you struggle with. You are still the foremost of sinners. And here's what we struggle to get in our hearts. We think when we struggle like that, we've disappointed God. But the reality is, it's no surprise to God. While you may be surprised and get down on yourself thinking how long it has taken and how hard it's been to get over whatever it is you want to get over that's sin in your life, that negative pattern of thinking or that behavior in your life, God isn't surprised at all. He hasn't changed His opinion of you. God chose you knowing who you were, how desperately sinful you really are, and how hard it would be for you to become all He wants you to become. Just as Hosea chose Gomer, knowing who she was, knowing how desperately sinful she was, knowing how hard it would be to have the kind of marriage God wanted them to have. And God never ceases to pursue you and work to win your heart and free your heart to face that sin and be loved even in that moment. See, only when we fully realize how sinful we really are and at the same time how loved we are even in that moment that God would send His Son into the world to take upon Himself the penalty we deserved to save us. Only when we have nothing left hidden in our lives about how sinful we really are do we fully experience how vast and powerful and freeing the love of Jesus really is. And that's the picture God gives through Hosea and Gomer, Hosea marrying Gomer, who is a whore, and also through the names of the children. But see, the labels of the children aren't God's identity for them. They're God allowing the reality of the whoredom and the betrayal of God to be fully faced. And God will lovingly over the course of your life, over time, allow you to continue to see how deeply sinful you are. Not because He's disappointed or surprised or shocked. Not wanting to condemn you. But because He wants you to have a full experience of His love and get to the place where freedom is more and more possible for you. See, God actually, and even this, in this text, has different labels for you than the labels of your sin. And God shows us those labels as Hosea goes on to say, and in that day, declares the Lord, you will call me my husband and no longer will you call me my Baal. Now remember, Baal worship was all about appeasing this God so you could get what you wanted in success and financial success and sexual pleasure. But God is saying here, you'll no longer relate to me in a way where you try to appease me to get what you want from me. You'll relate to me as the one who loves you, your husband, for me, myself. You'll love me 
And he says, I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you to me in righteousness and in justice and steadfast love and in mercy. I will betroth you to me in faithfulness and you shall know the Lord. And in that day I will answer, declares the Lord. I will answer the heavens and they shall answer the earth and the earth shall answer the grain, the wine, the oil and they shall answer Jezreel and I will sow her for myself in the land. See, there's that name Jezreel again. While Jezreel brought, brought shameful, painful, sinful memories to the minds of the Israelites because of their past. Originally, the meaning of Jezreel, that very word means God sows. God sows faithfulness and blessing and prosperity to bring fullness of provision and fullness of life and fullness of beauty to us. And God restores the damage that sin has done to your identity, to its original beauty. He frees you from that past to let you become what He intended you to become. That's what His love does when you receive it and allow Him to be your all in life. Any old sinful baggage that defines you, God undoes that and says, here is a fresh start to become originally who I created you to be. Whether it's divorce in your past or abuse or, or some sin or failure or rejection, whatever it is that you still look at and you go, that defines me. God says, no, I want to erase that. Would you face that sin and let me pour out my love even on you in that moment and give you a new, fresh Start And the text goes on and says, I will have mercy on no mercy. Remember, that's the child's name. And I will say to not my people, you are my people. You are my kin and my family. And you always will be my family. And then you shall say, he shall say, you are my God. You see, only when we fully get to the true reality of how sinful we are, do we even have a chance of fully receiving the love and grace that Jesus gives us and we get to rest in Him and leave our striving behind. But that requires we face our sin instead of keeping it hidden. And how do we do that? And we're not going to be able to do all the hows today but because it's really hard. Because our natural reaction when we're accused of sin and when we're caught in sin is to defend, to fight, and to flee. Right? And God in this Hosea story is inviting us to flee, but not flee to hide from Him, to flee into His arms, to confess and experience His love and forgiveness. Inviting Gomer to the experience of God's love by allowing Hosea to truly love her and the people to get a glimpse of God's love by watching their relationship. James later in the Bible teaches us that sometimes, just like the people need to watch Gomer and Hosea's love to understand that, that sometimes love of God comes to us through others. He says it this way. He says, confess your sins to one another. Why? So that you may be healed. So that you may be healed. That you may know the tangible forgiveness of God given to you by others around you. You see, sin's power is greatest in us when it is hidden. And God wants that hiddenness to go away. I've seen the damage of hiddenness of sin in my own life, and I've seen it in so many people's lives over the years of ministry. I've seen people leave a church or leave a marriage or leave a friendship, and, and what's really driving them in that departure is the hiddenness of their sin. 
They don't want others to know about their anger problem or their alcoholism or their marriage problems or their porn addiction or their gambling addiction or whatever it is or their greed because they don't, they don't know how to be real with their sin with other people and not feel condemned, but instead to feel loved. So when those issues become apparent and they fear their friends finding out, they leave. They go somewhere else. And it's so sad because they never allow themselves to experience the grace of God through others to them. And they never find freedom. And church and faith remain simply focused on behavior, having a good image, feeling a good about oneself. And they miss the whole point of the heart change that God wants for us to be able to be free to face our sin and experience His love through Him and through each other in that moment. So what's the sin that you're most struggling with right now in your life? You can take a practical action right now towards it as the worship team comes right now by confessing your sin to God. And you can come and receive communion celebrating the fact that God pursued you in the person of Jesus, coming to earth to live with you, to die for you, to give you a way to be forgiven right now. And Jesus didn't love imperfectly like the people from your past who loved you and all your flaws and they eventually got angry and frustrated with you and they eventually rejected you. No, Jesus loved perfectly all the way to taking a beating and spilling His blood and His very life for you on the cross so that you could be perfectly and fully forgiven and fully loved. If you're here today and you've always approached your faith as kind of a moral exercise, you, you, you've been one of those people who said, I just want my kids to go to school, church because, because they need good morals, and it's never been a relationship and never had that encounter of love with God, that you've never decided to be all in to that relationship with God. I invite you right now to come today and receive communion differently today, maybe for the first time, to confess your sins, to thank Jesus for coming near and pursuing you with perfect love and receive His forgiveness today. Receive His proposal to you that you would follow Him in faithfulness your whole life and be loved by Him and know His love throughout every moment of your life. If that's a decision you've never made and you want to make that decision today, I invite you to come and, and celebrate communion and come talk to me about it and we'll talk about it and pray about it more after church. For all of us, I want you to come now and I want you to celebrate the perfect love of Jesus that pursues you always, that says you can face your sin and not have even an ounce of condemnation because my love is so great for you and that's what we celebrate when we come and receive communion. If those are serving, who are serving communion could come. Lord, we ask that your presence would just come right now and that you would continue to do the work of your Holy Spirit. Lord, words alone cannot flip any of our hearts, but would you help our hearts even now in this moment when we so often respond with fear and distancing and it's become so, such an innate response for us to deal with how badly we feel about ourselves when we mess up, when we sin. I pray instead that you would, for each and every one of us today, flip that more so that we can face our sin honestly and not be afraid of it. 
because your love is there in that moment for us. And would you help us experience that now as we worship through communion in Jesus' name. Amen. Come and receive. My prayer throughout this whole week is that something would flip for many of you. Something in your heart that's kept you far from God or kept you in self-defeating patterns would flip. And that you would experience His love so powerfully today. If you're here today and you're going, that's me, I want to experience that, and for whatever reason you're still not experiencing that right now, I want to invite you to come for prayer and allow some other people to pray and allow God to maybe speak to you through them or touch you through them in prayer. If you're here today and you're saying, yeah, something is changing in my heart, that I am able to think about this sin that has been so hard for me to think about it and sense you, God, loving me in this moment, then don't run away from that experience so fast right now. Maybe turn to a friend and say, here's what I'm experiencing. Would you pray for me? Again, if you're here today with a, a, a physical need, a healing need, or anything like that, we also want to, want to pray for that as well. And in a moment, I'm going to pray and dismiss us, and we're going to go have a great meal together. If, if many of you here today, uh, if some of you forgot to bring something, don't worry. We have like boatloads of food. If you didn't bring anything, don't even think twice about coming back. Uh, we had a, a celebration yesterday of Carrie Van Runkle's life, and we've got a whole bunch of food from that, and we've got a bunch of other people that brought more than enough food for you to come and enjoy uh, just a great meal and, and fellowship with us. I do want to say thank you to all of, the, all of you right now who have uh, committed to the Forward campaign. We're making really good progress along the way. We've so far got 52 out of 250 possible families at Quest committing over 42% of our goal, right at almost almost 60,000 bucks. So we're getting we're getting there. And if we can all just yeah. I know we've done this fast, and a lot of times churches will take six weeks to do what we've done in three weeks, and I know some of you are still praying, still thinking. I just want you to continue to pray, and I want you to continue to ask God what you would do. If we can, if we can get over half of our people here participating, doing something, whatever that is, whether it's small, some of you can do big, and some of you can do 20 bucks, 10 bucks a month. Do whatever God says to you. And we are going to be able to make it a long ways toward reaching children and families better, towards reaching those, our five, better throughout the coming year to continue to see God reach more people. We get to celebrate baptisms next week, and we're going to hopefully see a whole lot more because of some of the stuff we're doing through this forward campaign and our prayers for our five. So would you continue to pursue this, continue to ask God what he would have you do, and uh, and join with us in doing that. We're going to receive our offering on the way out too. Boy, there's a lot at the end here. I hate it when there's a whole bunch of things. There's a lot at the end here. But we've got boxes back at the doors. You can, if you came with cash or checks, you can leave them there and, and give there, or you can give online, uh, either through the Quest app, if you've already got that downloaded, or you can text, uh, go to Quest to that number, and they'll send you a link, and you can give securely that way. Thank you for your generosity today. Lord, we just bless the work of your Spirit. Lord, would you help us to receive today's message in such a way that it so radically changes our lives, that we can approach those around us who are struggling, caught in sin, and they aren't happy even with where they're at in life.
And we can bring the freedom of no longer needing to be hidden because you love them so well through us and they experience your love and they come and follow you. And now, Lord, would you bless us with peace as we go and as we fellowship, as we get to meet some new people around us today and we get to spend time with friends eating. Would you bless our time together? Thank you, Lord, for this body, this church that you've assembled and the good, great purposes you have for us. We look forward to the coming year. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless. Thank you for listening to this week's sermon audio. If you are loving Quest podcasts, let us know on Facebook or Twitter by using the hashtag GoToQuest. For more information about Quest, who we are and what we do, or if you would like to help support Quest financially, please visit us at gotoquest.org. That's G-O-T-O-Quest.org.